Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Nirali Zaviri, who's the founder of Frizz. Uh, which is building a credit card for freelancers. Freelancers struggle to access credit cards and personal loans because of the absence of monthly pay slips. Frizz has created a tailored credit score for them to enable easier access to credit. Nirali has worked with MasterCard as product management specialist and has done a bachelor's from Singapore Management University. Frizz was part of Y Combinator 21 batch. Welcome to the show, Nirali. Thank you, Rohit, for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, you know, uh, uh, it's very interesting to have, uh, you know, a female CEO on, on, on board. Um, you know, what to understand, what's your, what's your background and what got you interested in two startups? Yeah, um, Rohit, I've always been <laughs> inherently curious uh, about the startup space. And uh, right from, you know, university days, been involved in the fintech scene through yeah, small fintech clubs at SMU. Um, and I think what really kicked it off for me was uh, my start at MasterCard. So I actually started MasterCard um, in an internship program, and I realized that, you know, payments was really grandfathering um, innovation in the fintech space uh, at that point in time in, in 2016, 2017. Um, and it was just fascinating to watch all of these new ways in which Customers were uh, interacting with different payment flows uh, and different digital wallets um, and how that was just elevating the user experience across all levels. So um, I would say, yeah, being in the midst of that payment-led um, fintech revolution was what really kick-started it for me. Interesting. And, and uh, you know, you worked with MasterCard for a couple of years. Uh, do you think it really helped you, uh, you know, uh, start your journey with Frizz? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, because we're reaching a place in, in um, not, not just the fintech scene, but in the startup scene where uh, people are solving problems that are a little bit more complicated to solve. I think the low-hanging fruit has already been um, more or less uh, gotten to, right? So, we're going to see more CEOs. We're going to see more founders that um, cross over into the startup space after having gained experience in the corporate space uh, to some right. extent. Uh, and, and I think we're just going to be moving towards um, that more and more. In general, if you look at generally the average age of founders, um, that's been rapidly going up uh, across the world. So right. the whole phenomena of like college dropout founders that find the next big idea, um, I think it's just going to get harder to do. Um, but, you know, that being said, again, the fintech space is such a complicated space um, to, to crack into. I would say it's not like a typical startup space because you have a lot of influence of, one, obviously gaining trust from customers, uh, and two, being able to play within all the regulatory framework uh, that's out there for, obviously, customer benefit as well. So getting that intermingling right is super crucial to having a successful go-to-market strategy in the fintech space. Um, and I think having that experience in a corporate with very well-defined processes and experience in, in terms of launching products um, and, and coming from a place that has uh, all of those learnings and the lens of um, being 
helps a lot in terms of thinking through um, not only ideas but basically executing them uh, properly in the fintech space. So, the time in corporates in general um, does help um, to some extent in terms of phrasing um, a lot of um, a lot of you know strategies for startups. Um, other than that, specifically for myself. I would say I spent some time um, in the infrastructure product that runs Google Pay, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay from Mastercard, and um, that really gave me a very good idea of digital wallet adoption and go-to-market for digital wallets um, and how exactly these um, card solutions were scaling and acting as the backbone. Of a lot of services that companies were providing, it was also a very good time to be in the space because I saw a lot of startups pivoting to fintech as a monetization strategy. So there's this, I mean, I would say general move in um, the startup space where <laughs> you know a lot of VCs also kind of uh, joke about this in the sense that every startup is a fintech. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I think, a very amazing thing to witness front and center and to be a part of as well. Um, the other key experience for me at MasterCard was being a part of their commercial payments team. Um, it was while my time there, um, I was designing small business credit card portfolios for large issuers in um, Southeast Asia. And it was my time there that I realized, you know, there is a huge gap in terms of uh, how how freelancers and you know digital entrepreneurs that are by themselves access credit. Um, and that was, I would say, the genesis of uh, the the idea for Phrase as well. Yeah, no, I think uh, some a lot of interesting points you pointed out, and uh, mm -hmm. I just uh, look back at my experience because you know I, I was an operator and worked with OU rooms where the founder is was almost uh, a college dropout. But uh, interesting, yeah. you pointed out that you know the age of uh, star founders is is going up, and it just shows that you know the the ecosystem is really evolving. But uh, but. Um, uh, you know, it looks like the majority of workforce in uh, in America is going to be uh, freelancers within the next ten years. Do you, do you see the same trend uh, also happening in in Asia and other places? Yeah, um, I would say the freelancing uh, revolution has really, really gone into high gear because of COVID and because of remote work. A lot yeah. of people are realizing the benefits of uh, productivity remotely. And a lot of companies are rethinking their entire workforce. They're moving to a model that's more flexible, more agile. As a result, you're just going to see more demand and more supply for freelancing in general. I think platforms like Upwork, Fiverr have been growing 20% month on month. So that's very, very exciting for us because we're at this crossroads of um, just changes in how um, people work. Uh, and, and a lot of people are calling it the, you know, human cloud of the future, where people uh, are just going to work on a project basis um, and, and move flexibly between organizations. That's kind of the utopia that, you know, we're really building for. Um, in Specifically, if you look at Southeast Asia, um, and, and I mean, let's also include South Asia in there, um, I would say 70% of all the white collar freelancers um, that work on platforms like Upwork, Fiverr, Freelancer are actually from this region. Um, so even though we hear about very large numbers of uh, freelancers 
in the U.S. Actually, a large population uh, and majority is actually based out of South Asia and Southeast Asia. Reason for this is, I mean, there are cost reasons. There are also reasons um, in terms of how digitally savvy and young the population is and also local job conditions. So what we see is that a lot of the young population is actually turning towards freelancing. They benefit from an exchange rate differential largely, mainly because their employers tend to be in US and Europe. Um, and they also have the ability to get a lot of exposure without um, necessarily having too much prior experience. And so, um, I mean, a large part of the millennial population is really adopting freelancing as their main source of income. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, millennials are looking at freelancing uh, as an option. Uh, but I, I want to talk about Frizz. What, what is what are some of the products that you are launching? Is it just a credit card, or are there other? Are you also going to offer loans and other uh, product offerings for freelancers? Yeah, I think um, so. Let me start off with why a credit card. Um, yeah. And I think all of the customer conversations we've had, as well as you know, everything that we've been hearing from um, freelancers not only in Singapore, but in other countries in Southeast Asia, like Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, is that, um, you know, they, they struggle quite a lot when they uh, try to access any kind of credit. Uh, reason being, when they try to access consumer credit, they're immediately asked for monthly pay slips. Uh, yeah. And as a non-salaried employee, that's super difficult for them to uh, provide, right? So they get kind of um, excluded from most of the consumer uh, banking loan options. On the commercial banking side, because they have a non-conventional business model that is very light on inventory, they also not, tend not to uh, have very savvy accounting platforms. Um, and, and so they don't have balance sheets or profit and loss statements to provide. And as a result, they also get excluded from small business lending. Um, and so in general, we knew that a lending focus was something that was um, really going to bring value to the end customer. Uh, specifically, we went into, to, into the credit card space mainly because um, there's a flexibility with um, cards that's not there with a loan that's directly debited to your account. You only pay for what you spend. Um, and I think it was mainly that flexibility that resonated quite a lot with the customers. That being said, uh, we're also currently working on um, extending the product roadmap to other lending products like invoice financing. Uh, and, you know, you'll see other products come up uh, on the platform as well. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And, yeah, uh, uh, I, I think the the couple of products, I think, uh, like Oxygen, which is also, I think, why, why I commented a pack, which is a product very similar uh, uh, to yours. But uh, I just wanted to understand, you know, are, they, are you using any growth strategies when you're looking at, uh, you know, growing a B2C uh, uh, fintech product like yours? Uh, uh, because uh, I, I do think, like we mentioned before the call, that, you know, it's a very competitive space, but uh, have you started looking at, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, adding more users on on your on your platform for now. Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually quite closely following this uh, fantastic book called Traction, 
I would recommend all your readers to check it out if you haven't already spoken about it, but I'm, I would be surprised if you haven't. Um, and we are very closely tracking against um, most of the strategies mentioned um, in the book, which is which which um, the, the main premise of the book is, you know, having an unbiased approach in terms of uh, testing growth strategies and being able to leverage on various different channels and letting those channels surprise you. So uh, our approach has been uh, on how do we test out various uh, strategies. So it could be SEM, SEO, it could be content-based uh, marketing, it could be viral marketing loops, um, it could be building communities. Um, and you know, testing all of these out to see what works the best over the long term. I'd say it's too early to say for us, but um, all of these have you know, started playing a major role in terms of how we reach out to customers. I think one big thing with understanding freelancers and the mindset of freelancers is that they've really written off a lot of financial products. Um, they've reached a place where they don't necessarily trust um, banks, mainly because they've always been lured into products and then been given this large checklist of things they have to complete to, to get access to products. So there's that trust factor, which I think is super, super crucial in terms of um, actually banking for freelancers and providing them a service. And so in general, affiliate and influencer-led marketing or referrals that come from people that freelancers really trust, um, I think drives home the point a, a lot better than you know traditional paid ads would. All right, that's that's very interesting, and uh, I want you to understand. You know, uh, when you when you build a startup, it's it's important to always have cash in the bank and and hire the best of talent. Uh, how how do you look at you know hiring the best of people? Uh, considering you 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 call it a Y combinator, but uh, how do you convince uh, you know people to join your company? Yeah, I think the best um, the best motivator. Uh, for employees um, as, they, as they think about businesses that they want to join um, is, you know, tends to be product market fit. So right. for us, that's kind of the heart of everything. Um, and for us, basically giving our employees the ability to be a part of something that really gives them immense satisfaction in terms of changing um, the fintech scene in Southeast Asia and being able to uh, really leave a mark on this landscape. Um, I think that's something that honestly drives everyone um, at risk. And I think that that's mainly the, the most important pull, um, if, if you may like it. Most of our employees have also been freelancers in the past. So they really empathize with the pain point already. Um, and, you know, I think that that in a way also translates to how relevant the solution is to our end customers as well. So, yeah, I would say it's a mix of um, bringing together like-minded and driven people that really, really find a lot of purpose in um, changing and providing value to freelancers. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM.
very interesting that you know some of your employees are freelancers i think uh, the the purpose and passion uh, for the startup will always be there right uh, <clears throat> are there any interview questions which you think are crucial to ask uh, for for a startup founder hmm that's interesting um i think uh, a question that i personally really really enjoy asking is asking people to tell me about a project that they are most proud of um i and and you know the responses i get are very very different again even between males and females responses are very different um and yeah i really think i get a lot of insight into that individual through that question um mainly because you understand exactly i mean you see what makes their eyes light up uh during interviews and i think that's super crucial in terms of understanding cultural fit understanding um also what kind of problems um and and what kind of techniques this individual uses to solve problems um so yeah that's that's always been uh, a favorite some examples of uh, i think responses i've gotten and people tend to actually pick out projects that say that they've worked with uh, in university not their first jobs or or their second jobs and um they might even talk about like certain volunteering activities they're doing on the side right and that just makes you realize hey you know maybe this person is kind of on this journey of of, of self awareness and and trying to go back to a certain career aspiration that they had that they haven't been able to explore and you know we try to think about whether that creates the right fit for um who we're hiring got it yeah no that that's that's very interesting and uh, you know what would you really look for a talent uh, who wants to join a startup uh, I, i understand you you work with uh with a big company called uh, mastercard but would you would you uh, you know would you look at uh the brand name of a, of a, of a you know university or a company or the aptitude and attitude of a of a employee who wants to join a startup yeah i think the biggest thing for us is at this stage definitely it's it's initiative um we basically want people that are uh driven to solve for problems on their own and to be able to in that sense be self starters themselves i think that's the most crucial piece um and so i would say attitude and approach towards problem solving is one of the first things that we look at at first and not so much brand names um i think in my experience from um you know having you know interviewed candidates uh, across different uh, profiles what works best is having people that don't have necessarily preconceived notions that they're very married to because um the space we're in we need to constantly you know approach the problem whether it's traction whether it's um you know product development we need to approach that with a fresh pair of eyes so anyone that you know too entrenched within a system isn't necessarily um going to question enough things um and so we look for a good blend in terms of someone that understands the space but also has the initiative and the ability to um look at the problem from a fresh perspective right and uh, you know uh, i wanted to understand uh, from from the perspective of a corporate person who wants to join a startup uh, you should candidates have to take pay cut to to join startups uh, because there's a the lot of hyper funding uh, funded startups which is which has come in the last couple of years but uh, you know would you advise a candidate to take a 
uh, take a pay cut uh, to join a startup, especially in a pre-seed stage? Yeah, um, I think it's <laughs> it's very fascinating. But um, I, I would say the number of uh, the kind of recognition that startups get from um, corporate employees that are trying to make the switch typically happens after Series A, Series B, and okay. that you have to also understand culturally that um, there's a certain um, there's a certain lifestyle, there's a certain way of operating that um, employees that have traditionally been in corporate are very used to. Um, and, you know, depending on the growth stage of the startup, the, they, they might be suitable to join when you've already gotten product market fit to some extent, and the main objective is to scale the business, right? Um, so I would say that um, generally just it helps if both parties are more mindful of the stage um, that they're at and and culturally whether incorporating a lot of corporate talent is going to work. In general though, um, for the pre-seed stage, for the seed stage, I would say yes, um, corporate employees, if they're really willing to get that experience of um, executing something um, that started with a, a simple vision and, and bringing that to life, that's a very, very unique experience. And that's unlike anything you can ever experience at a corporate. Um, and you should absolutely be willing to take a pay cut, um, negotiate in terms of being on the cap table, negotiate okay. so that you are, um, your goals are aligned to helping the company succeed. That's not an issue at all. Um, and, and, you know, I think grow with the company in, in that aspect. So just for that, experience personally i would i would um you know if, if i was just in the shoes of a corporate employee i would pay for that um because because the way i consider you know working at an early state startup i almost look at it as an mba uh, yeah. in in real life right um and a lot of employers are also i think valuing startup experience a lot more than um traditional mbas now and so, you know, I would totally see it as that opportunity to 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 go out and and really do something that you've never uh, done before. Because I think one thing I really noticed uh, when I transitioned out of a corporate into a startup was that you're no longer standing on the shoulders of giants. You're building your credibility all by yourself. Um, you're not a huge, whatever, twenty person team that's planning a go to market, for example, right? right. And so you can't do the small part of, of the puzzle. I, I kind of almost um, joke about how I am literally doing everything that no one else in the company wants to do <laughs> <laughs> and, as a CEO, right? Um, and and I think that's a mindset that you really, really have to um, come with when, when you start um, in an early stage company. Yeah, no, I think it reminded me of my days when I couldn't do starters when I took a took a pay cut, and uh, I think my family was very worried. But uh, but I think it all went went on well, and uh, and you also point out very well that you know a CEO has to has to do everything, uh, which which others would not be able to take up. And and my my follow up question is about uh, you know uh, if you look at the female CEOs uh, who've been able to raise funding. Uh, you would believe that 50% of the workforce are women, uh, but, but uh, the same share of 
funding is, is hasn't really happened um yeah what are your thoughts and what what was your journey uh, as a, as a uh, as a uh, you know founder of a company as a, f- a female ceo and how should you know women participate uh, more in startups mhm mm-hmm. um i think yeah there's a lot of issues over there to unpack mm. but um largely a, a huge like the way i look at equality um and maybe if we can just take a step back you know equality in the workplace equality in the startup space i think there's a difference in um equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome right so equality of outcome is basically saying something like oh these many seats are reserved for female founders or vc should invest uh, 50% of their portfolio only in female founders um i think that equality of outcome is very artificial difficult to impose and so we're not you know having any over the top measures like this um that involve affirmation like you know just reservation <laughs> in a way right um that's not something that i advocate for but the piece for me that matches very close to my heart is equality of opportunity and that is basically the the thought process that any female founder that is already in a position of starting a company uh has necessary level of conviction etc is given the same opportunity and the same platform that male founders are provided with um so just because of your gender you're not kind of um you're not um being discriminated against in any way um and i think in terms of equality of opportunity there are lots of different avenues that are certainly developing for female founders and i'm very happy directionally that the the entire not not only just the vc space but even in terms of how employers view working for a female uh, employees view working for a female founder how partners um are how open partners are in terms of striking important say b2b partnerships and relationships um i think there are doors opening because a lot of the decision makers as well um you know are are increasingly female and so they understand that female perspective um specifically though if you step back and look at the fintech space uh and my experience personally i haven't interacted with um i mean maybe i can count on my fingers how many female partners at vcs i have pitched to um i also haven't pitched to many execs um as we grow our lender portfolio as we grow our um you know bank uh, our partnerships within the fintech and banking space um because that's a crucial part of lending on the free platform um so yeah i think there's quite a lot of um, there's a sense of not having uh, a lot of females in the fintech space in general and that's something that i'm super aware of and, and i think super grateful for the opportunity that i have as well um and then if you also specifically look at what is it that um in a way prevents females or or uh, or it's probably reason why not many females are starting up in general um i think the issues there are much deeper and they're more related to um having conviction having courage having believing uh, to begin with that you can build something um by yourself or or build something with uh, other co-founders um i think there's a lot of 
work that's more at the grassroots level um, that has to be done in terms of providing women with the necessary inner beliefs and the uh, inner um, confidence to, to step out and, and build something of their own. So that's going to take a while. I think uh, thank thank you for this answer because uh, uh, you know uh, I've also understood you know what uh, what are some some of the underlying uh, issues, but I think it, uh, giving uh, equal opportunity uh, that that is something which has to be given across you know uh, not only one but across diverse uh, founders. Um, and uh, Natalia, what what do you think would be the future of everyday banking services? Uh, you know, uh, if you look at financial. Banks, they've been slower in adopting uh, to digital products, but with the kind of uh, uh, speed that we have seen in fintech space, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, Europe, and US, uh, you know, where do you see the banking services uh, uh, to, to uh, in, in the next couple of years? Sure, um, I think we are experiencing something known as the segment of one in the finance space, where Every customer is ex- is expecting an experience so tailored to them as if they're their own segment, right? Um, and so you're having all of these amazing fintechs that have um, similar sounding products, similar sounding propositions, but they are targeting very different segments. They are focused on creating extremely tailored and personalized experiences. And I think that's the next forefront of um of you know fintech innovation in general specifically yes it applies very very closely to b2c innovation but even if you look at b2b um you're seeing you know b2b always used to be such a, a canned space in terms of saying hey okay this is a solution that i have for this large segment of customers that would be like billions of businesses or you know um it, this applies to all these countries uh, across the world. It's not tailored towards specific corridors or towards really very, very specific needs that businesses have. Um, but which seeing that change in terms of segmentation more and more within the B2B space as well. And so, yeah, I'm just very inclined to say that we're moving towards a very, very personalized and tailored world in the fintech space in general. So I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x? They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Um, if you look at traditional players um, in banking and, and specifically why we're targeting the fintech, uh, sorry, the, the freelancer space. Uh, I think huge reason for that being is, is the mold around banking has always been on how do we support salaried employees? Um, it's not been so much on how do we grow uh, our credit scoring? How do we grow our understanding of incomes um, as income sources become more varied, become more fragmented as the way people work becomes more flexible. Um, And I think this crossroads that we're at in terms of a lot of innovation in the digital human cloud of the future, as well as banking is a very, very exciting space. 
in general, if you look at the lending space and, and the kind of data that lenders are using to make lending decisions, 10 to 20 years ago, the main source of data was banking data, looking at um, how many assets an individual has in their current account, right? And how they tend to spend from their current account. But now you see lending decisions moving up the chain in terms of moving closer to the source of truth. Um, so there are a lot of lending solutions that are starting to focus on payroll related data uh, for, for salaried employees. Uh, as more and more lenders recognize the importance of moving closer towards income as opposed to asset-based financing, um, because income is, again, more real-time. Income is more based on, I mean, it's less biased towards uh, certain older models of operating. It's, biased, it's less biased towards old wealth, if you may. Um, and income also enables the ability to uh, flexibly credit score someone and that, that has maybe lots of different sources um, of earning. So in general, we're seeing the lending space moving towards um, more income-related data. And that's also our contribution uh, in this space. All right. And, and where do you see, you know, Fris going in the next couple of uh, couple of months and years? Are you looking to expand into other uh, countries in Southeast Asia? Yeah, absolutely. I would say there are two levels um, that we're thinking of in terms of the product roadmap. Um, first level is expanding beyond just the credit card service. So we're um, introducing new services on invoice financing that enable freelancers to get paid upfront. Um, and then we're also building out, I would say, the entire stack for a neobanking play in um, the freelance space. We're very excited to be first in market in Southeast Asia to be doing this. Um, and I think, yeah, there's just a lot of responsibility that comes with that as well. So we want to honestly make sure we serve our freelancer customers and listen to them every step of the way. Um, and other than Singapore, we're going to be launching pretty soon in Philippines as well. Uh, and our wait list in Philippines is going to go live soon uh, as well. So yeah, we'd, we'd love to reach out to any freelancers that are, listening to your podcast right now um, that are based out of Philippines to, to check out Frizz also. Yeah, excited to know about, you know, your growth plans ahead. And uh, Nirali, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Ooh, um, I would say currently my favorite uh, business book is, is definitely uh, Traction. And I already alluded to that. Um, but uh, do you want me to give you more than True. No, I think traction is good. We'll, we'll put that uh, put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could yeah. go back in time when you when you started working on Fris, what is one thing you would done uh, differently, or yeah, anything you would have anything specific you would have done? Yeah, I think absolutely. The um, the building a fintech requires um, honestly hitting. Um, I would say hitting the ceiling and then looking at lots of different possibilities um, before you figure out the right way. Because the with the fintech, it's not just purely a technology play. There is a lot of financial services knowledge that comes into the picture as well. And that is knowledge of, of uh, regulation, that's awareness on um, how to acquire customers um, relatively quickly for something that involves a lot of trust. Um, I think something I would take note of is that the MVP concept 
uh, in financial services is very different from an MEP that's you know in in any like general e-commerce B2C play for example, right? Reason being is there is a huge element of trust involved, and and so something that I would probably do differently is I would look at maybe one or two key partnerships early um, instead of trying to um, you know pursue quite a lot of different opportunities early on, and then facing roadblocks across all those opportunities. So um, I would say in terms of that MEP, it's not about quantity of partnerships it's about one or two key quality partnerships that provide credibility um and and help you to go to market really quickly yeah that would be something that would totally right. help any listeners <laughs> that are working on fintechs of their own as well very interesting and uh, do you have any favorite online tools for example gmail slack zoom oh um can I say I don't like any of those? <laughs> no, but um, yeah, um, Zoom has honestly been uh, my bread and butter um, yeah. because Frizzle started during uh, the pandemic and the ability it gave me to just uh, speak with anyone and everyone uh, was wonderful. A big plug for me personally would be for LinkedIn. Uh, I think I met you through LinkedIn, Rohit. Yes. Uh, I personally use LinkedIn um, as as a tool um, quite extensively, and and I reach out to people that I would want to be connected to, need advice from. Um, I reach out to people that are like minded. I reach out to employees, um, and, you know, potential employees, and even customers through LinkedIn. Um, and I think. We were talking about that, just kind of uh, go back uh, a couple of questions when we were talking about equality of opportunity. I think tools like LinkedIn really create that opportunity, even for uh, women like myself that are you know, younger, starting off um, their, their careers. I didn't start off with any networks in the startup yeah. space. So right. right from you know being a part of different accelerators, right from... Um, getting the right partnerships with lenders and also being able to hire, um, you know, my early team. I think um, using networking platforms and having the confidence and the trust to make that first move um, is game changing. Absolutely. I think LinkedIn, uh, I can't survive without LinkedIn. I think 90% of my podcast guests have come from LinkedIn. So, exactly. uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Nirali, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Frizz? Yeah, um, uh, they can obviously interact with us through all of our Frizz social media channels. We'll definitely be um, sharing those URLs with you, you know, on this podcast. Um, and then uh, they can also just directly reach out to me through LinkedIn. I'm always available. We'll put that in the show notes. Nari, thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you, Rohit. Pleasure is mine as well. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.